Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Rettiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest this week is Steve Croft, 30-year correspondent on 60 Minutes, who's had a marvelous journalistic career, not only on 60 Minutes, but before that, as one of the country's great war correspondents. Before I get to the 60 Minutes part, I wanted to ask you about when you were a war correspondent. How did you get into being a war correspondent? Well, first of all, I got, uh, I was in the army in Vietnam and my first, uh, and I managed to end up uh, with a job at Stars and Stripes. So I had, that was my first job. Uh, and it was, you know, I thought it was very romantic. It was interesting, but I, you know, I didn't join CBS until a decade later. The answer to your question is I got a call from uh, a vice president uh, in CBS and said, we want you to go to El Salvador. And uh, that was my beginning of my CBS experience. But in London, you know, I spent a lot of time in Beirut. It was all just part of the rotation. You know, you were, I, first of all, I was a young person at CBS and I was expected to go to war because all these other people had families and, <laughs> and I was single and it was like, okay, we're taking, we're sending you. You were at uh, in Vietnam, you were in Ireland, you were in Lebanon, uh, you even went to Granada. That must have been quite a <laughs> terrifying experience, I guess. Not really. There's like 30, 30 soldiers from Granada opposing what? 100 Marines? Liberating Cuban cigars. Yes, I guess what it was. In, in any case, you uh, eventually. Uh, uh, you stayed with CBS your entire career. You were just—I I read that they apparently you started out in newspapers, but they were CBS newspapers owned. Is that correct? No, it's. It was. I think that's that references the Stars and Tribes in Vietnam, and that was my first newspaper, first newspaper job, and only real newspaper job. Well, the last question about warrior war correspondence was: Do you fear for your life at any point? in this or were you pretty safe? I was very cautious, but there were times when I was um, uh, very nervous. <laughs> I can remember a patrol I was on when I was in Stars and Stripes and uh, um, we, we, we nearly were captured by the, uh, by the Viet Cong. <laughs> and uh, it was, and that was pretty harrowing. I was really nervous because I got separated from the group. And um, it was, uh, that was pretty harrowing. And um, in El Salvador, I can remember being, you know, but I should tell you this, Dan, when you do that, you're running on adrenaline. Yeah. Um, and you're so much in the moment that you don't really necessarily think about uh, a bad outcome. And um, so I was never, I was in, you know, many dangerous situations. I survived a plane crash. <laughs> uh, that was not a war experience, but certainly that time I was pretty, uh, I was pretty scared. 
Um, but you're so in the in covering wars, you're so it, it becomes sort of addictive, you know. As uh, Churchill said, the most exhilarating feeling in the world is to be shot at without result, and you and you and so you get into it. I see. Sort of sick. <laughs> What what what, are, what do you think were your talents that made you rise to the top? Because you certainly did. Uh, I have a, a friend whose daughter is was at the Texas Magazine, and now she's at the New Yorker. And she mm -hmm. just as a I, I somehow thought of her because of the preciseness and the uh, thoroughness of the reporting itself. And I wondered how you felt, how you developed that. Well, I had uh, an interesting route besides the Stars and Stripes. You know, after I got out of Vietnam, I was a, you know, as a reporter in Syracuse for, for a TV station. I went down to, then I went down to Jacksonville and Miami uh, working for the Washington Post TV stations and uh, then to CBS. And I got a lot of experience uh, before I got to the network, which you don't necessarily see today. I mean, to me, I don't think you're a reporter unless you know how to cover a courthouse. Uh, or a police speed. That helped tremendously. It, and also, I think the, the, my primary talent was writing. I know how to tell stories well, and that was, I think, the thing that was the, the, the key to my advancement at CBS and probably what caught the eye of, uh, of, of Mike Wallace and Don Hewitt. Is there any particular story you're most proud of that you keeps coming back into your mind now that you can sit back and watch the ocean? Well, you know, I did, you know, 500 stories. So <laughs> there are a lot of them. But I think the one that keeps, a couple of them keep coming back right now. One of them is the is this recent story. One of the last stories that I did uh, was the story on John Le Carre. It was a two-parter that we did. And it was, and I remembered and, and, and liked it because I thought it was, he was a fantastic character. Uh, that's the one that's freshest in my mind. And plus we just had, a wonderful time together. He was a great raconteur, a very memorable person. But you know, Chernobyl, the story I did for one of the, you know, one of the first people in it, Chernobyl, uh, allowed in, and um, the um, the Stock Act. You know, the their, their, the inter interview with Bill and Hillary Clinton uh, after the Super Bowl that has taken on all sorts of lives. Uh, the Woody Allen interview that is now going through another recycle job. And, and uh, um, you know, there, there's so, so many. The, the best thing, you know, the, gra the greatest part about this job was just the, the opportunity to meet so many interesting people and to travel and see the world. That was just the, the best part of it. Well, the, the, the first one that you mentioned was Le Carre. I, yeah. I didn't, it's not familiar to me. Uh, tell me what, what that was all about and who was he? He was a, a miss. He was an intelligence former intelligence agency uh, agent who uh, wrote a lot of uh, uh, spy novels. The spy who came in from the cold, um, oh. smiling people, um, little drummer girl, all of this, and a real character in himself. Why did you decide to retire at a relatively young age? Uh, I guess. <laughs> Uh, relatively young age for 60 minutes. I was about to turn 74. What they don't mention that there are a few correspondents who died before reaching my age, uh, Ed Bradley for one, uh, and uh, Harry Reasoner, uh, another, and Bob Simon. So I, I kind of felt that I did not 
want to die at my desk and that there were a lot of things. My life had been so consumed by my job. I wanted to spend some time out here. First and foremost in my mind was that I wanted to spend a fall out here in Sag Harbor. <laughs> and <laughs> because I always had to go back to work just when the best weather and, and the most golden days uh, appear on the calendar. Um, and, um, you know, it's been, you know, we're living out here well, we're living out, we've been out living out here full time <laughs> under the circumstances of COVID. Um, but I really look forward to that. And I did, you know, I, I also believed that there was something about, you know, going out on top, you know, I didn't want to stay too long. Um, I think that the business was, the, look, the journalism business is changing and nobody knows it better than you do. It just seemed like everything aligned and, uh, I also had some health problems. I didn't, I've never told any, another reporter this, but uh, I had a, 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 bout of, a bout with lung cancer about five years ago. I'm just reaching the five year uh, threshold. But, and that sort of implanted in my mind that you know, it gives you a sense of mortality, uh, yeah. but it worked out very well. It was caught very early and- uh, Here started, you are. <laughs> yeah, here I am. <laughs> How long uh, have you been in Sag Harbor? How long have you been out here? 30 years. Uh, and I have to tell you, Dan, uh, I have no memory of the Hamptons without you. Oh, that's very nice. I remember longer ago than that when Sag Harbor was kind of a mess of uh, abandoned houses that now sell for five million bucks. And I remember driving along the uh, Bridgehampton Turnpike towards Sag Harbor in the winter. And there was a sign that had ordinarily said, welcome to Sag Harbor which was uh, they had hung on a, the, the welcome, the welcome was underneath the Sag Harbor, welcome everyone. And they changed the sign and it said, it said Sag Harbor. And then under it, it said closed for the season. <laughs> that's, that's, that's about right. I can remember, uh, I have to give the Sag Harbor uh, village credit for like posing some pretty strict rules on preserving uh, old houses. And uh, because somebody had told me, you know, somebody was talking about houses, Sally Harbor said, uh, you know, I said, it's a, yeah, it's a teardown. And I said, <laughs> all of Sag Harbor is a teardown. <laughs> <laughs> but thank God they can't do it. <laughs> yes, right. And um, so you, you probably remember the demonstrations against uh, Rite Aid. They had signs that said wrong aid. <laughs> right. Come out. Yeah. <laughs> They've done a terrific job in preserving it, but it seems to have been preserved in the late 1940s rather than the whaling era, which yeah. is what it's famous for, which is kind of interesting. What do you enjoy most about the Sag Harbor and the community? Uh, because it is uh, not part of what some people would call the Hamptons. It's getting there, but it's not quite there. It's a, a bit of an outlier. Uh, it's maintained its charm. It's a, it's a, you know, there are a lot of people, you know, it's still sort of a working, you know, a working town. It's small, it's intimate. It's easy to get to know almost everybody. People are friendly. Uh, it's just a, it has a literary history. It has a high tolerance for, uh, for everything. Uh, as uh, Martha Stewart once said to me, she said, where do you live? And I said, I live in Sag Harbor. And she says, Oh, you're you're with the intelligentsia. 
I wouldn't quite characterize that way, but I got a kick out of that statement. Yeah. And there are a lot of writers here, and it's a, it's a, uh, it's a very interesting community. Well, you know, every summer we have the artist writers softball game in East Hampton. Right. And it's right smack in the center of town, which makes it a difficult venue for people <laughs> to come to. And there's at least some discussion going on about moving it to Mashishimu at Park in Sag Harbor, whereas more spacious and some shade. Uh, I don't know that it's going to happen, but the reason is because they say it's all shifted. You know, it uh, used to be in East Hampton, Amagansett, Springs, Montauk where all the literary people were, but now that's, and the, and the artistic people. It's sort of, with, with the infusion of the ultra-rich and all that they bring, uh, intelligentsia seems to have recentered itself in some ways. <laughs> that's coming from Martha Stewart also. <laughs> when did you first think you wanted to be a journalist? When you were, you were born and raised at what, Indiana? Yep. So when did that strike you? In high school or early on? Well, my first job in journalism was actually I was a paper boy. So I always had some attraction to the profession. Delivering um, the news. <laughs> yes, delivering the news. Would you, read the, would you read the headlines and stuff when you were? Oh, yeah. I was always an avid reader. And um, I, I think it was in, you know, in college, I went to Syracuse University and, you know, was a communications major. Uh, I was primarily interested in advertising at that point, but I did some articles for the, did some newscasts for the uh, station, the local uh, university station, also for, wrote for the Daily Orange occasionally. Um, but I was interested in advertising and then I got drafted and then I ended up ended up in Vietnam. And after 16 months there, I came back and I was no longer interested in, in advertising. I knew that I wanted to, to be a television correspondent and I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to hope eventually try and work for the networks. And, um, and that was, that was sort of when the light went off when I was in Vietnam. Did you ever think you that, I mean, a lot of people thought of Edward R. Murrow and the romance of being a war correspondent. When you were starting, was that was that ever a goal that you might do something like that? I think that it was part of the package, as as I mentioned earlier. You know, there's something very romantic about it. Uh, it also comes with the naivete of youth, and the excitement and the adrenaline. Murrow and Ernie Pyle and lots of these other people had, as I learned more about the business, had huge influence on me. Well, we're glad you're here. I want to thank you, uh, Steve Croft, my guest tenant today, corresponded for 30 years at 60 Minutes, where the stopwatch goes. I'll see you on a bench in Sag Harbor sometime okay. soon. Okay, I look forward to it. It's been my pleasure. <laughs>